everybody, here's the Sesag Podcast. I know it's been a while since we aired the last episode, but we've been productive in the last month and we have collected some very interesting new papers from the world of shoulder and elbow surgery. So I'm super happy to announce the kickoff for the next season. Uh, my name is Robert Hudek and here we go. Hello to the uh, next episode of the Sesag Podcast. We're kicking off season 2023 and um, we're going to discuss a paper here uh, which sounds very interesting and I have so many questions on this because I really do not understand it perfectly to be honest with you and uh, the paper is called Shoulder Pacemaker uh, versus Conventional Physiotherapy for the Treatment of Functional Posterior Shoulder Instability a Multicentric Prospective Randomized Control Trial. And it's coming from uh, Philip Moroda, who's the first author of this uh, study. And Philip is uh, here with us. Welcome. And uh, Philip is from the Schultes Clinic in Zurich. And uh, my SESEC expert today is Professor Emilio Calvo from the clinic Fundación Jiménez Diaz in Madrid, in Spain. And uh, my first question would be, Philip, um, this is a multicentric big thing on the shoulder pacemaker can, can you give us some details on on why you did this study and, and how you did it so first of all thank you robert for organizing this podcast and thanks for inviting me and also emilio thank you very much for being part of this discussion um so the question why we did this study uh, is quite easy to answer uh when we started treating patients with so-called functional posterior shoulder instability a couple of years ago, meaning this is patients that have, have a high degree of posterior shoulder instability, but have no structural defects that can be found on MRI or CT scans, we figured out quite quickly that our current treatment options were quite poor and we had little treatment success. Uh, this is why we try to come up with different solutions. And since this is a functional problem caused by muscle activation patterns that are not working well, we thought, okay, we have to improve them from a functional level and not operate these patients because operations often end up in a mess uh, in several cases. And so we published a couple of years ago in the American Journal of Sports Medicine a concept called the shoulder pacemaker treatment. Uh, this is a treatment concept that uses neuromuscular electrical stimulation that is motion triggered. And so this is called uh, functional electrical stimulation. So every time this patient elevates the arm, the device gives the patient a certain intensity of electrical current that stimulates muscles that were previously hypoactive and led to instability. And when you activate these muscles at the right time, then you improve this muscle pattern and timing. And by doing so, we were able to reach very nice and uh, astonishing results in our first published case series. However, it was not controlled. So the, the level of evidence for this trial was low and we had quite a big confirmation bias. As we invented it, uh, obviously you try to promote it and uh, even unconsciously, if you want to do a good uh, scientific job, uh, you will always have a tendency um, towards, uh, towards better results. And so we said, okay, this looks really good, but we need to prove this on a more sound scientific basis. And this is why we set out and, um, and designed a multicentric trial where different centers located in different strategic positions around Germany um, were assigned to be a study center. 
All the data was collected centrally outside of the country in Switzerland and also analyzed in Switzerland and we didn't have access to it. And we had three guys. Um, we had uh, Pascal Bolo from France. We had Giuseppe Porcellini from Italy and we had Simon Lambert from the UK who acted as an international studies supervisory board and they had access to the data and were able to uh, to take decisions on the on the executions of the trial uh, as well. So we really tried to make a study, a trial that is as scientifically sound as possible in order to see whether it has the effect that was shown in the first uh, trial. And uh, Philip, uh, you had uh, 49 patients, right? And you uh, distributed them in two equal groups and you tested the one group with physiotherapy alone and the second group with physiotherapy, the same physiotherapy plus the pacemaker. So what did you find out? So, uh, yes, we randomized the patients into these two groups. And what we found out is that the physiotherapy alone, and this was a physiotherapy that was defined in a previous Delphi consensus, uh, was not doing very well. It improved the patients for a very short period, about six weeks, but already at the three months, a time point, they didn't have a significant improvement from baseline. However, on the if you have the same physiotherapeutical interventions, same exercises with uh, concomitant treatment with the shoulder pacemaker, we actually found a significant improvement uh, in these patients. Additionally, what we saw is that patients that crossed over from the physiotherapy group into the shoulder pacemaker plus physio physiotherapy group after the three months time point, even these patients that didn't have previous success with the traditional physiotherapy showed significant improvements uh, as well in terms of the clinical outcomes course. However, what we also saw is that the general improvement was not quite as good as in the first published trial. And this is likely explained by the fact that um, now this um, the device and the concept was used without prior training in the patients. And uh, so uh, likely... The, the usage and also the, the amount of time that was spent on the patients was likely less than what was uh, true in the first trial. So we saw a significant improvement if we add the pacemaker to the treatment. However, this improvement was uh, not as well as what we saw uh, during our first trial. Hmm. And Emilio, um, what, what do you think about the pacemaker? Philip showed some pretty impressive imp results and improvements. Would you use it? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Robert. Uh, nice to see you, Robert and Philippe. And thank you for inviting me in this very interesting podcast about the shoulder pacemaker. Uh, I think that the, the shoulder pace, pacemaker uh, initially explored one of the most difficult parts of our practice, which are those patients with shoulder problems where, yeah, where there's no Uh, anatomic abnormality or structural uh, lesion. And these patients are very uh, difficult to be managed by us as surgeons because we don't have efficient tools to treat these patients when there's no uh, structural abnormality. So I believe that the initial idea by Philippe was very interesting trying to solve uh, dynamic problems with a dynamic uh, uh, treatment using the soldier pacemaker. These results were proven in, in several studies by uh, Philippe and, and his group. So I truly believe that it's a real uh, efficient tool for patients 
uh, in whom we don't have any uh, surgical uh, uh, tool uh, to treat this problem. So uh, I think it's very interesting and it is, there's a very bright future uh, for, this, for this device. Uh, one of the, of the uh, very interesting uh, um, uh, fields to be explored might be probably the potential use of this device for uh, other conditions different to that of posterior stability. And this could be conditions where uh, a dynamic problem is also uh, the major um, uh, problem of the patient. I'm talking about uh, cases like, for instance, uh, scapular dyskinesia. Uh, so the question to Philippe would be, do you think that in the near future, could we think that the shoulder pacemaker could be of use in patients with other functional problems for the shoulder, like scapular dyskinesia? So, yes, uh, Emilia, I think you're perfectly right. Um, what we actually observe, uh, because we see the usage rates of the devices around the globe, and you will be amazed that uh, there have been more than 20,000 uh, sessions performed uh, on patients for posterior shoulder instability already. So it's obviously multiple sessions per patient, but nonetheless, it's quite an astounding number. Uh, what we see is that uh, the cases in scapular dyskinesia where it has been used is catching up quickly and will uh, shortly surpass the posterior instability cases. So uh, it's exactly true what you're saying. Um, surgeons and physical therapists are using it more and more for other indications as well. Obviously, the, the, the benefit will not be as visually evident as a patient that previously had a dislocating shoulder and then doesn't dislocate uh, again. But uh, it, uh, it shows improvement for, for these patients as well in terms of improved scapular kinematic and uh, all the resolution to different problems that can occur if you have uh, poor scapular kinematics. Philip, and, and one question. Um, how do you find the perfect patient clinically if, if someone comes to your practice? What signs? I mean, it's here a B1. Maybe you can give us a short update on how to find the perfect patient for the pacemaker. So in terms of posterior shoulder instability, it's a quite easy process. So first of all, you find out uh, whether this is a functional posterior shoulder instability. And this is an easy diagnosis. You need to do one test, and this is the so-called show-me test. This is the easiest test in orthopedics, as I call it. You just sit back in your chair, relax, and ask the patient, please show me how you dislocate your shoulder. 90% or 95% of the patients will look at you with big eyes and think you're crazy. But a few of your patients will actually tell you, okay, look, This is how my shoulder dislocates. Now, if you have a positive show-me test, so a patient that is able to show you his or her shoulder dislocation in the posterior direction, and at the same time, you see no structural damages on MRI, this is a functional posterior shoulder instability. If it's controllable and the patient uses it as a party trick, but he can control it, don't do anything, no treatment at all, not even physical therapy. If they cannot control it, and this occurs every time they raise their arm, then this is typically a good patient for non-operative, so conservative treatment in terms of improving the muscle pattern. And there is where I would uh, recommend the shoulder pacemaker. There's one further test that we have been using in the past because it has shown 
uh, that is able to identify patients that actually have a good outcome with the pacemaker is if you do the so-called wall slide test. You have the patient press against your resistance into external rotations. So you have them push and activate the external rotators as hard as they can. And then at the same time, elevate the arm in the front and continue to push outwards against the resistance of your hand. And when they do so, and their shoulder is now um, stable and they can elevate at higher degrees without dislocation, then typically this means that the activation of the external rotators improves their stability. And these are the best candidates for the shoulder pacemaker treatment concept. Yeah, that, that sounds uh, really good. Emilio, do you do these tests in your practice? Yeah, I, I do these tests and uh, posture instability is a condition that is really difficult to diagnose, especially when it's functional, there's no structural damage because uh, the complaints of these patients sometimes are very vague. They don't complain of a clear posture dislocation. They complain of pain, decreased athletic performance, and many other symptoms that are difficult to, to, to assess. Uh, so I think these this tests are, are very important. Uh, going, going back to, to the interesting um, uh, point raised by, by Philippe on the necessity of um, activating the external rotators, Uh, in posture instability, and is the way the pacemaker is, pacemaker is working. Uh, we all know that there are a certain number of patients that don't have a clear posture instability. It's a kind of inferior or multidirectional or even anterior instability associated with hyperlaxity. And these patients many times also have a, a poor uh, control of shoulder kinematics. Even if the direction of stability is inferior or even anterior, so uh, the question is that in these cases, do you think that shoulder pacemaker could be uh, useful? And if this is the case, what should be the muscular uh, groups to be activated with a pacemaker maker? Because probably in these conditions, we could try to activate the subscapularis or even the pec major. So, what do you think about these these uh, patients with a Clear without without a clear direction of instability that complains of instability and with poor uh, muscular balance. Oh, that's a, that's a great point, Emilio. Um, so I've been treating patients with functional anterior shoulder instability, obviously as well. Luckily, they are rarer than functional posterior shoulder instability, at least in my practice. And uh, I have to to say that I've not been successful in treating these patients with the shoulder pacemaker. Why is this the case? The shoulder pacemaker uses surface electrodes to, to transfer the, the current. And uh, it's very difficult to reach the subscapularis by doing so. So you would need to have some kind of uh, better access to the subscapularis to stimulate it in a better way. In terms of stimulating the pect major, not too convinced about that because the abdominal part of the pect major has a vector that pulls the shoulder joint out of the socket, it pulls the humeral head out of the socket, especially if you have kyphotic patients, uh, it actually has the wrong vector. And so um, I've, I've not had success with that. So with anterior functional instability, unfortunately with this device, I didn't have uh, good success. I mainly use it for functional posterior shoulder instability and other things like kinematics. Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to treat these patients as well. And what is really interesting is that in our trial, we did not see an increase in muscle strength over time. And moreover, 
we did not see an atrophy or muscle volume diminution before the intervention. So these patients, they really have no problem with muscle mass or muscle volume. And they also have no problem with muscle strength because it was the same in both groups. What it seems to be the case is that they have a problem with timing and activation patterns. So we truly believe this is not a muscular effect of this uh, functional electrical stimulation. It's uh, an effect in the brain. It's actually retraining your brain so that you get the right impulses to the muscles at the right time. It's basically training your coordination and not your muscles. It does it indirectly by activating your muscles, but the brain realizes, oh, this is how I need to work. In the, in the beginning, this is why we named the concept this way. We thought this needs to be implanted. However, we realized that after a certain period of training, these patients would adapt and just uh, redo all the activation pattern. And by doing so, they become stable. So potentially in the future, if you have uh, the rare case of a functional anti-instability, you might need something like a fine, uh, fine needle or electrode or something like that, or even an implantable device to treat the patients at least for a certain period of time. But this obviously is much more invasive. Uh, and uh, we don't have any data on that yet. For posterior instability, it's quite easy. It's non-invasive. You can try it. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you didn't cause any harm. No, just a question about about uh, the potential indications of um, of uh, the pacemaker. Uh, the main indication, as you pointed before, is the uh, patient with dynamic functional posterior instability without any structural change. And uh, I understand that in these patients, the use of the pacemaker should be combined with physical therapy, trying to uh, strengthen or to reinforce the function of, of external rotators. Am I right? Correct. So uh, if this is the case, we know that uh, uh, many of these, cases, uh, these patients are initially dynamic, functional uh, patients with dynamic functional posture instability but in the long run this dynamic functional turns on the structural posture instability and the um, the uh, um, evolution of this problem is is very uh, long uh, along the year along the, the age of the patient sometimes these patients are in the beginning asymptomatic or very uh, pausy-symptomatic and they become symptomatic in the future for, with functional dynamic instability and we know that the final outcome would be a structural posterior instability with a cartilage erosion and even uh, posterior subluxation of the humeral head or a static posterior subluxation of the, of the humeral head. The question is that uh, do you think that in patients with a with a a functional posterior instability or even in patients with increased glenoid retroversion, the pacemaker should be, could be used effectively in a preventive way, trying to support, to, to, trying to, to avoid the evolution from functional to structural posterior instability. That's another great point. Um, there is a transition between functional and structural. Not every patient is, is black or white. There's a huge gray area and many patients with uh, a structural problem also have a functional problem at the same time and potentially vice versa. If you have uh, many thousands of posterior dislocations, you might end up with a posterior labral tear and this creates pain, for example. So yes, what I do nowadays, if I su suspect there is both problems, 
then I might go for surgery to fix the labrum, for example, because the patient is just painful because of posterior labral tear or flap tear or something like that. I repair it and then I let it heal. And then I start at six weeks post-op uh, rehabilitation with the shoulder pacemaker to hopefully get the best of both worlds, surgery and this functional electrical stimulation. But I really want to protect my surgical repair by the use of the pacemaker. And an interesting topic is what you mentioned is the static posterior dissenter joint in the young. This is an entity that uh, keeps me awake at night. This is something that we have been exploring in the past. And we, we, just, we just don't understand it well. And we certainly do not have a solution for it. However, if you don't have a solution, then most of the time, uh, likely the solution must be multifactorial. So we have not had great success with surgery. We have not had great success with, uh, with non-operative interventions. So maybe in the future, we need to focus on this uh, bipolar approach where we say, okay, we do what we can surgically if everything else fails and then try to combine that with an effective treatment that might or might not be the, the shoulder pacemaker. In theory, it sounds great. I don't know whether it will be sufficient for this very tricky pathology, but uh, I've been uh, experimenting with it uh, in the past and uh, I hope we will see good results in the future, even though I only think uh, we might be able to slow it down. We will not be able to slow the process. That's my, my personal feeling. And Philip, I have a question to the length of treatment. You did in your study a six weeks protocol, right? So physiotherapy plus pacemaker. And then you tested the patients um, uh, after three months and six months. How long does it last? Do you have to repeat this kind of training because people forget how the external rotators work? So um, the, the duration of the treatment uh, was chosen based on what typically would be acceptable in Germany in terms of a physiotherapy prescription. So we limited it to six weeks plus the crossover into the other group for another six weeks if the patient wished to do so. Um, what we saw um, over the last uh, years of treatment is that since this seems to be a neuroplastic effect, Go for as much treatment as you can. Don't only go for twice a week. Do it as often as you can because this likely trains you better. Uh, and sometimes six weeks is not enough. You need to go a little bit longer for three months, for example, or even longer than that. And uh, in some patients where we stop the treatment after six weeks, what we have seen is a decline in the stabilizing effect uh, over time. And we have retrained this patient and we saw again a nice effect. Since this is not invasive, sometimes you need to remind the patients of the right motor task. Think about it a little bit like in sports. You train a certain tennis stroke or something like that and you have a very good form and you're a good player. And then you don't train for a long time and you, then you, uh, you don't play as well anymore and you have to retrain. And this is possible since it's not invasive. It's no problem with that. That's so interesting. And uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think many of our listeners are maybe going to uh, try the idea of uh, training people in conservative cases, maybe not only for functional posterior instability, but as Emilio already mentioned, maybe for uh, cases that are much more often. And we see them in many cases like scapular dyskinesia and other functional um deficits without any structural damage. So maybe this is a, a great path for us. 
And um, Emilio, uh, would you, if you now have listened to Philip, and uh, would you would you want to try this pacemaker in your practice? Uh, absolutely. I think that there's a problem. These patients have a problem that we don't know very well how to, how to solve it. Uh, so we want to help them. Uh, Philip uh, proved on on his papers that the device works and uh, it doesn't have any any adverse effects. So uh, it does work to be tried in these specific populations in who for whom we don't have a good uh, a good treatment uh, to help. Um, but having said this, uh, it's interesting that this is a conservative treatment. For these patients, uh, Philippe um, was saying before that there were many patients uh, treated uh, across the world. So who do you think are the ideal um, uh, uh, specialists to be to deal with this device? Do you think it should be uh, surgeons, uh, physical therapists, therapists uh, sports doctors or uh, rehab doctors? So... The setup uh, that, we, that I have currently in Switzerland, uh, the way it works is I make the diagnosis and I give the indication. But after that time point, it's up to the physiotherapists. It's truly something that the physiotherapists need to explore. It's not something where the surgeon will spend a lot of time. Uh, it's something where you make the indication, you refer to the physiotherapist And then in our setting, the physiotherapist tries it for one hour on the patient. And if you already see that the patient accepts the device well, and is, sometimes you can very quickly see some effects, some initial effects, then the patient can either stay with the physiotherapist and come back to the office of the physiotherapist as often as he can, or there is a rental model where actually the patient can rent it at home because it has an app that goes with it and then you can play it like a computer game at home, basically. But this is not available in any country uh, uh, just yet, but we are working on it uh, to build this up so that it will be available for more patients in the future. Okay, many thanks. So um, I hope you enjoyed the uh The recording and the presentation of this paper and i'm pretty sure that we will hear a lot more on this um uh on this specific topic of the uh, pacemaker in the future philip and um maybe as a last word for for our recording now is there anything you want to uh, so kvats or dangers or anything which you have to know while using it Uh, so maybe one thing that you should avoid is use the shoulder pacemaker in a patient with a heart pacemaker that is susceptible to electrical current. <laughs> so, uh, that might be a contraindication for sure. Yes, there's other contraindications outlined on the device. Uh, I don't know all of them on the top of my head. I have to look at the list myself as well. I think pregnancy is an ex exclusion and so on. But other than that, as Emilio said, it really doesn't have um, that many adverse events. Uh, it has even been used uh, by the Italian uh, Olympic uh, swimming team. Uh, obviously not in the water. That's also a contraindication. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great, guys. So many thanks for this recording. I think it was a, a, a very interesting topic. And I hope uh, that we meet each other uh, soon on one of our great congresses. Uh, so this time, this was the paper Shoulder Pacemaker versus Conventional Physiotherapy for Treatment of Functional Posterior Shoulder Instability Multicentric Prospective Randomized Controlled Trial with the first author today, 
Philip Moroda from uh, Switzerland, Emilio Calvo from Spain and myself. My name is Robert Hudek. I'm a shoulder and elbow surgeon from Hamburg in Germany. Many thanks. Thank you. Thank you.